Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Yeah, hello everybody and welcome once again to The View From The Lane, the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic, the podcast that wants to go on for 100 minutes. Um, joining me, your host Danny Kelly, is the entire gang post-North London derby, um, The Athletic's Tim Spears, Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. Hello everybody. On today's episode, guess what we'll discuss? Um, brilliant North London derby performance. I think it's fair to use that phrase after the first half hour. Shedding the... Spursy tag that I think means the opposite of what everyone else thinks it means. Um, and I'll be bringing you news of yet another Spurs player who has left the club to win a trophy. In this case, I think in record time, the shortest period ever from leaving Spurs to winning a major trophy. That's all to come in the next little while. But let's start, if I may. And of course, last week I was accused of being too negative by one or two people um, about the, uh, the fans forum. And now I'm going to get accused of being too positive about the North London derby. Do you know what? I don't care about that. I'm very positive about it. Um, let's get this out of the way first, though, so that Charlie doesn't spend the entire of the next 100 minutes trying to get it in, trying to shoehorn it in into another part of the conversation. Charlie, on on Twitter, um, you said um, in the run-up to the game, my prediction, for what it's worth, is 2-2 with Spurs coming back from behind. I raise my predictive hat in your general direction, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, and look, I, I didn't want to bang on about it, but I'm glad, you know, if we if we have to talk about it, I, I guess, yeah, I guess we should. It did play out quite similarly to how I thought, I have to say, because my the sort of longer... I thought you didn't want to bang on about yeah, it. Yeah, true. Uh, no, who am I kidding? Obviously, it's all it's all I want to talk about it. No, I I, I said um, that the longer version of that, uh, IRL, was I said I thought Arsenal would come out flying. Partly, I think, just as the adrenaline of being the home team in a derby, um, and, they, and they did come out really strong. Uh, but I wondered whether they'd be able to sustain that, uh, given you know they'd played the midweek. Spurs hadn't. Spurs are very fit, um, and that was kind of how it played out. That first half hour, and and actually even longer. I rewatched the first half just before this, and they they were really on top for that first sort of thirty five minutes or so. I mean, up until and then a bit after that period where Madison's caught in the ball, Jesus misses the chance. And then there's still a little bit where they're rocking, but then they really gain a foothold and Arsenal can't get the ball for the few minutes in the lead up to the that first equaliser, which incorporates the really good Johnson chance. It's a weird game, this derby. It's the one where scoring first means the least. You know, it's... it's, it's Statistically, always... that is true. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's very topsy-turvy. Uh, and Spurs aren't too bothered by going behind. You know, they the, the previous two league games, they'd come behind and won. Um, and actually, and we'll get into this. I thought, I thought they could have won yesterday. I think, I think with a bit of, um, you know, without the sort of trauma of, and I think they played without that trauma actually very impressively. But I still think, 
you know, you're going to a ground where you haven't won in so long against a team that came second last season. I think it's natural and understandable that a point, you know, a point's a really good result and they were unlucky, I guess, that Madison had to come off and Son came off as well. Because um, I thought up until that moment, the win was there for them. Yeah. Um, thank you. I mean, I, I take your point, but Arsenal did dominate the first 30, 35 minutes, although they did it with 40% possession. Astonishing amount of passing by Spurs, albeit most of it 20 yards from their own goal. Um, James, um, you're the Spurs fan on here. Um, I, I am, of course, completely neutral. Everyone knows that. Um, what did you make of the North London derby? Yeah, it was uh, it was very good. I, I think the, the result was possibly not as far off what I expected as the performance. I, I don't think I expected them to be quite as composed as that. I, I did, people probably won't be surprised to learn, have some degree of trepidation about playing in the sort of traditional or well, now traditional gung-ho manner in a game like that against Arsenal where like they hadn't really started particularly brilliantly this season but in midweek against PSV it kind of felt like things clicked for them in an attacking sense a little bit more uh, and I did just have a horrible feeling that Spurs were kind of almost walking into that perfect storm of like Arsenal suddenly being confident going forward and, and Spurs giving them loads of opportunity and loads of space on the ball and as Charlie mentioned obviously there was one occasion where they tried to play out and very nearly were punished and really should have been punished, to be honest. Uh, but uh, other than that, I mean, in general, I thought it was a brilliant performance. The thing that really struck me, um, and I tweeted it from my podcast account, now Postacoglu now has more points in a way North London, North London derbies than the last three managers combined. And in kind of stumbling upon that stat, I realised that Spurs have had five different managers in the last five away North London derbies. Like I hadn't really appreciated they turned three managers in quite the same in quite that way. That's incredible, isn't it? Five the last five seasons they've gone to the Emirates with five different managers. Well, the last season, James, that they didn't sack a manager was the Champions League final season. It's incredible. I mean, it's such a it's such a long, consistent run of of sack of changing the manager. So that that figures. I mean, it was. I mean, you could say the game revolved around two burglaries: the burglary by by Gabriel Jesus. Um, on Madison that didn't result in a goal and the burglary of Jorginho by Madison that did result in a goal. But those are the fine margins, as they say. Um, Tim, you you often take a, a more measured view of these things. Um, I'm going to put it to you that uh, Spurs there did what I want them to do. Fight, play, fight, play, fight, play. Or you can do it, play, fight, play, fight. I don't care which way around they did it. Um, yeah, they might, they might have been overwhelmed in the first 13 minutes, but they weren't and they kept going. I'm not going to be that measured. I thought they were absolutely brilliant, to be honest. There's, there's my man. That's why he's getting the big bucks. That's why Spears is here. <laughs> I was just, I don't know, that first half an hour, it was so suffocating. Arsenal's press was was so effective and so intense. And Spurs, Spurs were drowning at one point. There's that period where a doggy gets booked and then almost gives away a goal. And then Madison almost gives away a goal. And you're like, they, they are fighting to survive here. And uh, they're they're very close to going two down, and the and the game might have been over at that point. And their heads looked a little bit gone in a couple of cases. So to recover from that, not not just I mean, there are actually some similarities with last year's game, which I thought were interesting. In, in the in the, that first period is all is all Arsenal pushing Spurs back, and then Spurs get the equaliser on half time. But of course, the difference is this year that they played their way out of trouble. And it showed such bravery to do that. Their backs were really against the wall. And to come out, as you say, you've nailed it really, Danny, you know, not just fighting, but playing um, with some young players in there. And the fact that when you look at Adogi and Bissouma and Saar all being booked 
um, in the first half. That spells massive danger for the second half, just like it did with with Royale last year getting sent off. But things are so different this year. Um, you know, at first 30 minutes, you're kind of thinking, well, this really shows a team that's years in the making versus one that's very much in its infancy. But by full time, you're thinking, oh, well, hang on, you know, okay, there's some injuries at play here, but there's not a huge amount of difference between these two teams. And to say that after six six games is remarkable, really. That kind of composure that Tim was talking about, I, I actually think that really rattled Arsenal. And that we've kind of seen it the other way around, maybe even as recently as Sheffield United last weekend, like when you're playing against a team you think you should beat, you're not winning the game and the other teams seem to be like, in, like they've got a plan, they're kind of conducting that, they're, they're pulling that plan off perfectly. The game is going the way they want it to go. They don't look hurried or, you know, under pressure. You start to become rattled. And it, it, that didn't happen, you know, that happened the other way around, didn't it? I, I think Arsenal like clearly felt they should have, it was a game they should be winning. And Spurs didn't at any point ever look flustered outside one or two moments in that first kind of 25 minutes, you know, the doggy booking. I mean, it was quite a rash of swing of the leg from Romero for their own goal. I know that's Gary Neville's least favourite thing, but he mentioned it again on commentary yesterday. Like, like you know, he maybe needed to make himself big and stand I still to not... I guarantee you, if, if he hadn't swung a leg at that and it had been scored by the two Arsenal players queuing up to score, he would have said, what is Romero doing facing his own goal and not interceding? But other than that, yeah, I thought I thought Spurs were incredibly composed. It's really impressive. Like, as Tim says, like, for, for that... For a team that is as raw and new as this, and being realistically, you know, we talked a few times about how, not to say this team has been thrown together, but there are so many elements of it that have been pulled together, like within preseason, basically. And for it to for it to look that good against a team who, you know, as Charlie mentioned, finished second in the Premier League last season, their third favourites for the Champions League this season, which you know brings us back to the conversation about how strong the Premier League is. But you know, that's the level that's the level of team we're talking about, regardless of how many having a couple of players missing. To go there, not just to get a result, but to play well and actually come away from it thinking maybe that was a missed opportunity to win there. I, I think is like an like that really underlines how good a job Postacoglu has done in these first three months. Totally, and I think the point you make there, James, uh, about them feeling that they should be winning the game. I think that's why that Jesus miss was so important as well, because they really did go for the jugular that first 30, 35 minutes. And it looked like the way they were playing, they wanted to almost kill the game there and then. They put so much into it. And a two and a two goal lead, you know, I don't think that would have been impossible for Spurs to come back from, but it would have been that's a big ask. What's actually quite telling, I think, and this is how it came across on TV and obviously you were in the stadium, so the actual lived experience may be different. But it sounded like the first Spurs goal on what, like kind of 20 minutes, half an hour, whenever it was, like after all the Arsenal pressure, like sucked the noise out of that stadium more than the second one, which was obviously like 98 seconds after an Arsenal goal. And normally you'd expect the goal that comes immediately after the opposition, after you've scored. You know, you concede immediately after scoring that to be the one that completely kills the atmosphere. But actually, I think it was the other one. I think it was the first goal that really sort of seemed to just completely suck the life out of the stadium. I think because the second one was was one which was such a glaring individual error that I think the Arsenal supporters tried, were trying to like lift the player and the team because it was such an obvious sucker punch. Whereas I think the first one might have been a more like profound sense of frustration. Yeah, like the idea that Spurt, like they had gone at it for that substantial period of the game and been way on top and then in an instant Spurs had equalised. Yeah, isn't that literally just that they were saying, for fuck's sake, Jorginho, 
but like 50,000 of them doing it. Well, or, but I think they were trying to lift him. I think it was a sort of conscious effort, even though everyone is inside raging at him for doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think it was... Also, okay, just because just we're so interested in statistical accuracy, I don't like this 96 seconds. Over a minute of that was taken up with getting the ball to the centre circle. It was 26 seconds of play. Yeah, let's, let's get it exactly right. Yeah, it was. And, and look, you know, clearly... I mean, what Spurs did well, really well, I thought, and actually could have done more of. Jorginho is Arsenal's third-choice defensive midfielder. He's a way off Rice and Thomas Partey, who was also out. And they recognised that, and they went after him. And I mean, I don't know what on earth he was thinking for that goal. I mean, it was crazy. But after that, he was you could see he was rattled. He was wobbling. And there were a few times, Madison, there was one where Madison nicked it off him, and Jorginho sort of fouled Madison um, almost in retaliation. He was just off the pace. And I, and I think that's what I mean when I say... It, it's a great point and you know but I just and I tweeted it at the time I, I said I think it was about 20 minutes left I was like oh, it's hard because obviously there's so much neurosis and anxiety in this fixture but take all that away let's not let's not pretend that we are you know we're away at our rivals who are with their you know third choice left winger third choice DM who looked way off the pace they look a bit rattled Spurs had a massive threat on the counter let's not pretend there isn't a chance of winning this game because you know, it's a game they haven't won in a long time. These chances don't come along that often. Um, and maybe if Madison and Son have been able to stay on, I mean, Son, I'm not even sure if, you know, it, it, there was no sort of injury mentioned by Postecoglou after. If Madison had been able to stay on, you know, maybe it's a slightly different story. Then we're getting into the injuries argument because if Benton Kerr was fit, um, he would have replaced Madison and Spurs, would have kept going forward uh, perhaps a little bit more than they would do um, with Hoiberg on the pitch. Although you're right to mention the neurosis surrounding the game because I'm not going to lie. Yes, Spurs might have won it. Arsenal might have been two up in in, in 25 minutes. Um, but the draw was starting to come into my mind from about 90 minutes on. I thought, they get away with it having played like this. It's a huge step forward for the group of players. Let's let's analyse the game um, through a rather, um, um, you know, made-up medium. Um, I'm going to ask you to pick one player. You could easily go through the whole Spurs 11 and say he did well, he did well, he did well. I'll start and I'll pick one that I know nobody's going to say that would be my first choice to pick. I'm going to pick a doggy um, because of, you know, there was that moment when you're absolutely right, Tim. He was um, not drowning, but he was, cer- he was certainly not waving either, was he? Um, and, you know, for him to pick himself up, play with the threat of the yellow, of another yellow card against arguably the best player in that, pos- in his, in that position of that type in the league, Mohamed Salah is a different kind of player, uh, in Bakayo Saka. Um, for him to play better and better and better as the 90, 95, 100 minutes went by, including by the 100th minute, he was the most active player on the pitch. Whatever about the substitutes, I mean, there was twice in the last five minutes where he intercepted the ball again, way up the pitch, as he had done against Sheffield United. So I'll pick I'll pick Destiny um, just because I thought he, it could have gone disastrously wrong for him and was fine. Um, Tim, you can because you've been so positive, I'll let you pick. Who, who was your Spurs player of the game you got to say for the goal as well with the doggy he did another really bad moment where he just uh johnson wasn't really helping out properly with running back and yeah he, he just he looked like that literally as the goal was going in it was another bad moment so yeah to recover from that was was so good oh, who would i pick um i mean basuma's sort of feels almost too obvious to say it now really um but again just epitomize that bravery and technical ability and aggression and he was the best midfielder on on the 
pitch. Would it, would it be fair to say eventually? Would it be fair to say that first 20 minutes he was perhaps having his least impressive spell for Spurs uh, in this season? Yeah, you're probably right. And I think that's probably true of almost all of them for that for that 20 minutes. I don't think anyone came out of that, um, except maybe Van der Ven, who I thought was pretty oh, immense. Oh, he's, he's nicking other people's choices here. Yeah. I'm just just giving them clues, you know, if, they want, if they're struggling. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Basuma, I don't know. It, it feels like um, he's been one of the best midfielders in the Premier League so far this season. And uh, every single game, he, I don't know if he's going sort of underrated or undernoticed a little bit, but... Um, Everything he's everything's doing apart from shooting is very good. Madison, it, Madison is keeping him kind of off the front pages, isn't he? If you if you like, uh, James, I'll go, I'll go, I'll come to you next. So you're obviously bursting to say something. Charlie, do you want to do Son or Madison? I, I, I'm I can do either. Really. Does that mean no one's going to do Van der Ven? Well, Tim mentioned him there. I oh, I can do Son. I'm, do you want me to do both? I'll do both Son and Madison. I'm name mine too. Uh, Madison, um, I'm James Madison. Right, the the, the last two games. I've watched with like genuine fear that he's going to lose his head. Like, like, like you could tell he was sort of getting frustrated for different reasons in the two games. Obviously, the Sheffield United game, Spurs are struggling for a goal, uh, and it felt like the world, including the referee, were against them. And clearly, you know, there was a moment he got booked, as we talked about last week. Um, but he kind of regained his composure, although he wasn't like massively involved in the two goals. Like, clearly, he was in, like an important force in that game as it as it wore on. Yesterday, like there were a few challenges where it kind of felt like n- n- I'm not suggesting Arsenal were necessarily targeting because I don't I don't really think that they're the kind of team that would do that. Okay, well I'll suggest it for you. There you go. You can suggest that if you want. I'm not I'm not really sure. But he was. I, it definitely felt like he was kind of bubbling under a bit and getting a bit wound up. And he feels like the kind of player that will kind of have a sort of, you know, Wayne Rooney, David Beckham sort of uh, lash out moment and, and get himself sent off in a big sort of tetsy game. But I, I, that guy is just, I can't tell you, he, he's just so Spurs. Like for someone who like, you know, it isn't from London. It's not like sort of David Bentley where he was kind of sort of a Spurs fan before he came and he's come in and been like the sort of flash player and hasn't worked out. You know, this guy's from like, is he from Coventry? I think he is, isn't he? Certainly from the Midlands. Like, you know, he has no links to Spurs. He's on Instagram, like, more or less every day of his kids, like, saying, come on, you Spurs and whatever else. Like, all of his social media content. I know it's naive and stupid to be tricked by this stuff, but I'm leaning into it. I don't care. Like, all of his social media output is just so Spurs. Um, And, like, he's just... I mean, that's the, his work for the first goal was just, like, really, really good. Like, And, again, when we talked about the things that we expected from him. And... Maybe the pass for the second goal was the kind of thing I expected. But that, like, turn, to kind of turn Saka both ways and then, like, just lay the ball back for Son. And that finish was unbelievable from Son. I think that really went under the radar on, on commentary yesterday on Sky. It's a brilliant finish from Son. Amazing turn from Madison. And that partnership to me, I, I, I mean, it's not quite Son-Kane yet, but it looks like it, it is a, a really... Really promising partnership, and better than promising actually. If you look at the number of goals and assists they've had between them already, um, and, and clearly we were worried, obviously, about Kane leaving and where the goals would come from. And we talked about other players needing to up their numbers. And Son is now on what half the Premier League goals? He got ten last season, I think. And yeah, he's on five yeah. now. So he's halfway to his total from last season. And Son just looks like he's back. 
And I think after Burnley, in fact, I think I said on a podcast after that, like that could be the anomaly actually, and it could be the Leicester game of last season, and then he go, oh, you know, he go two months without scoring again, like he did the previous season. His finish for that, I mean, talk, so we talked about the finish for the first goal. That was a great finish, like to sweep that into the bottom corner the first time, like without even looking almost. It wasn't even a sweep. It was. It was. It's more like a snooker shot, wasn't it? A gentle snooker, a safety in snooker, because Raya, bless him, might as well have got into the crowd to applaud it. And there was no position the goalkeeper could take at any stage of that move where he could have stopped that touch from Son. It was absolutely beautiful. The second goal. And I, I just kind of assume he must have done this on purpose, but it kind of looked like he opened his body up, like he was going to hit, like he was going to hit round it with his left foot, and then he just hit across it, across it with his right foot, in, like in that movement. And I just think that really unsettled Ryan that the fact that he just like opened his body up and then hit it with the other foot anyway. Well, also because he's so two footed, he could plausibly have gone with his left. So, so that's that. That's why it works. And also, I did wonder if the, one of the reasons Saka doesn't foul Madison is because. It's such a dangerous area for Madison to then take a free kick. And those are the sort of things that you talk about before. So Madison almost earns the right for that first assist to, ju- to just go to the byline because Saka's petrified of fouling him, even if he did get close enough. Because you, you'd, you know, Matt, that's where Madison set up the goal for uh, Romero against Brentford. You know, he's deadly from there as well. So many players would have taken the easy option in that position as well, by the way, and like turned back and just looked for a ball on the edge of the box. But he's like dropped the shoulder again and gone back the other way. So you've chosen Son and Madison, which doesn't. What, what about well, Tim? Tim's had about five players. Yeah. So I'm allowed two. Charlie. I, I mean, I, I would just quickly like to say Basuma because he would have been my one, and I, and the reason I just think you can't play. He's the one who's most, maybe not. I mean, Madison as well, maybe. But to play the way Postecoglou wants to play, you have to have a player like Basuma, and there are so few players who can do what Basuma does. Look at what Jorginho did for for that equalising goal. It's such high risk play, where, you know, where you're coming short, you're dropping the shoulder, you're beating players. There are a few examples. He did one in the 95th minute, dropped the shoulder, lost a couple of lost a couple of Arsenal players in his own half. And the thing is, to go and get results away at teams like Arsenal or whoever, you need and and if you're going to go and get results in it, not just to be a backs to the ball. If you're going to go and get deserved results. You need to do stuff like that. You need to play in that really risky way. That's how you stop it just be, just giving the ball back and it coming at you again and again and again, which is what a lot of... T- you know, look at someone like Sheffield United last week when they were trying to hold out against Spurs. They can't do that. They can't keep the ball. They were just giving it back and, it was, and, and, and eventually that becomes relentless. And we've seen, what did Mourinho's Spurs keep doing? They kept losing leads because they couldn't keep the ball and and you know and that's the difference and i think having someone like Basuma who can do that i just thought he was amazing yesterday you're, you're right danny after those initial uh problems he had but again i don't i just don't think that would be a massive issue to him or postacoglu you know uh, that's going to happen the way they're going to play and you just trust that the benefit no it only becomes it only becomes an issue if gabriel jesus get, scores the second goal sure and then and then the world the world's a different place do you want to give anyone else or do you want to choose anyone else? Yeah, I mean, well, a couple. I mean, Van der Ven was mentioned there in passing. I thought he was superb. And Vicario, the goalkeeper, uh, made a couple of really big saves. But more than that, I just thought his distribution was really good. He was really calm. And he just, again, like with Basuma, he allows Spurs to play in this way Postacoglu wants to play. Let me just say that, of course, the person who's being set up as Spurs numpty of the week is Christian Romero. Um, and I get Gary Neville's point to some extent, but what, what are you going to do? The ball's coming across the goal at that speed. The penalty, just let me pontificate for two minutes about the penalty. Um, 
and I, it's unfortunate it was against Spurs. I hate seeing that penalty given against against any team because it's not a penalty. And here's my big thing about it. It's actually rewarding the players who are trying. Um, whereas the players who come out to charge the ball down with their hands behind their back now in deference to the new directors or whatever they are, they're not giving 1% for the team. They're looking after themselves. They're making sure they're not giving away a penalty. So the players who are honest enough to throw themselves at the ball, or in this case, throw themselves towards the ground, the ball bounces up onto his hand and they give it as a penalty. It's it's rewarding the slightly cheaty players who are, you know, retreat, retreating away from the attack with their hands behind their back. I'll, I'll never, I'll never accept that as a penalty. I don't care about the modern game and VAR and all the rest of it. If if the ball can accidentally hit a part of your body and that can be given as a penalty and and, and, and given the importance of the game as well. Um, but there we are. we are there with the rules. I totally get that. I'm not not and I know geezer shouting at the stars saying, "What are you doing out here again tonight?" Um, but it's not right. It just isn't right. I know this is old hat, but they were you know that is a penalty given by VAR. The referee hasn't given it, and he's he's gone to the screen to look at it after the VAR has seen it. They do, they don't watch it in full speed. Like like you can watch a replay of that. Like it's watching it at full speed that you realise it's an insane penalty to give. Like watching it in slow motion where it looks like he's moved his arm up to stop the ball. Uh, like it's completely, it's completely pointless, completely redundant. But also the ball has changed direction because Madison's got a little touch on it as well. So it's deflected and it's from like two yards away and it's been hit incredibly hard. It's just, it's just not a penalty. I don't, I don't think even under the current mad rules it's a penalty. The Man United one from was the second game of the season, same player. Similar, very similar uh, motion towards the ball. It's a shot that's heading towards goal. It hits his hand. It's not that's not a penalty, but this one is. And that one had further to travel, Tim, as well. The, the example you say there. The, the the thing with it is with all of it. The, this is the biggest example of where VAR is a problem. The handball rule, and and people say now, like I don't even know what a handball is. No one ever really knew. That was the thing with the handball rule. It basically relied on you knew one when you saw one, but to actually define it was always quite tricky. But it just relied on a, that basic approach. It kind of looks like one, so I'm going to give it. What VAR does now is pretends there's some sort of universal truth, and that we can say, oh, that is and that isn't. It's just not the case and but the problem is then you're pouring over it and we have to pretend that there is some reality when i just don't think there is in the end it it couldn't really have mattered less could it because it was it affected the game for 24 <laughs> seconds well imagine imagine if Jorginho had given that ball away when it was 1-1 yes but then we're in the i mean that's sort of alter, alternate reality isn't it i know are we doing Enketio's red card as well while, while we're on it yeah please by all means yeah Viv O'Connor, among our many, many, many followers on Twitter, a VFTL podcast, Viv says, should it have been a red card for the tackle on Vicario, a potential lead breaker? Right, so I know it's annoying to talk about like the TV commentary in the UK, which I know not everyone would have heard, but Gary Neville on the commentary was saying it wasn't a red card because he didn't catch him with his studs, which seems absolutely insane to me because surely that scissors motion that he's ended up like catching him with, like one leg either side of... Vicario's ankle and then the kind of turn as he's kind of gone fully to ground that's way more likely to cause an injury than sort of catching someone with studs on on shin pads I, I mean I, I, sorry and I know I've been very kind of <laughs> forthright about not, not being a penalty and I'm going to immediately follow that by being incredibly forthright about this being a red card and, and maybe I, maybe that is my bias showing through but I can't really see a world in which when you've got VAR that isn't a red card. I'd like he's gone in with force. He's gone. In, he's it's reckless. So he's got no control over his movement at that point. The ball is 
miles away. The ball has gone like seconds before. When you watch the second replay from behind, like the ball is out of shot before Enketia arrives. <laughs> it's like it's a red card. I, I can't. I can't fathom that not being a red card. Yeah, it's, he went flying into a few in the first half as well, for what it's worth. But look, it's frustrating, isn't it? Like, he, he's, he's had a pretty bad game. Like, he's not really been involved at all. Like, you know, he, he's frustrated and that's that's why he's done it. That's how you know it's a red card. Yeah, listen, it, it, in, in the end, it was a, a point that was worth more than a point to Spurs because it allows the team the breathing space to say, okay, we've started to crack some other things now, you know, obviously getting beat 1-0, 2-0, 3-0 away from home on the on the bigger grounds. That didn't happen. They can definitely um, say that the, the system they're trying to play and their team togetherness made, you know, a, a real, you know, contribution to them getting the point at Arsenal. Um, but I do think, and um, before we get, go to the break, Charlie, um, always a danger, of course, of uh, of uh, a single swallow making a summer. Step forward for Spurs. Still massive test to come, not least against Liverpool very soon. Yeah, again, Liverpool um, is now such an exciting game. I think everyone, like like been saying throughout the season, the the way it's been under Postecoglou, as soon as one game finishes, you just you can't wait for the next one. This is a slightly different one because there'll obviously be elements of trepidation, given you know Liverpool are. A very good side and they're now second uh, but I think everyone's just so curious to see how Spurs are going to match up to them It's a busy Totally Football show available now featuring the vocal talents of Charlie Eccleshare Adrian Clark, and Daniel Storey we're breaking down match day 6 of the Premier League which feature one or two matches amongst them the North London Derby and of course that extraordinary 8-0 performance by Newcastle away in the All Saudi affair at Bramwell Lane. Loads of facts and fun as we round up all of that in the latest Totally Football show. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to The View from Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. With me today, Charlie Eccleshare, James Moore, and Tim Spears in alphabetical surname order there, so there'll be no squabbling 
couple of bits of news for you. We didn't mention there that Son's brace in the North London derby means he's now scored 151 goals for Tottenham. Um, he's closing in very quickly on Cliff Jones, I think, as the fifth highest scorer of all time for the club. Um, and if he keeps going at the speed he's going, he may well find himself um, fourth highest goal scorer of all time by the time we get to uh, the end of the season. Oh, and James, you, you should know this. Uh, who Son scored a double away at Arsenal. Who was the last Spurs player to do that? Uh, I, I, I'm afraid to say it was in the Optus stat pack yesterday. Oh, I would was have got it? it. It's uh, uh, what well, is it? John Hendry. John Hendry. Yeah. yeah. Legendary John Hendry. No, I was saying this, James. It was just for the FA Cup final. So yeah, so Arsenal put out a scratch team, and there oh, was John Arsenal Hendry. Had, Arsenal had players missing again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Did they have a sixty million pound bloke coming off the bench in that game as well? Champions League winner. I think Paul Dickov started though, which gives you some idea. Lucas Moura has set the new record for leaving Spurs and winning a major trophy. His team won the Brazilian Cup final last night, which is a major trophy. The Brazilian Cup, Tim Vickery assures me, is much more important in Brazil than the Brazilian League. Um, and he, uh, what is it, about six weeks since he left the club? And there he is with a, an instant trophy. Well done to him. Um, it's worth noting that today we're doing this on Monday. Um, on this day in 1909... All right, I know, even I wasn't around then. Spurs recorded their first ever victory in the top flight. A 3-0 win over Sheffield Wednesday um, after the season had begun. Their first one, as I say, in the old Division 1 with a draw and three defeats, um, which takes us on to some, some views about the game. Um, Madison, afterwards, James Madison um, was talking about Spursy and all the rest of it. Um, neutrals talk about Tottenham. He said they uh, often say soft, weak, bottle it, Spursy, all that rubbish. I think the last couple of weeks shows we might be going in a slightly different direction. He was fantastically um, sarcastic about it almost. I, I just want to say, on the back of what James had to say about Madison, that clearly he's already getting into the heads of the opposition before the game even starts. Why else would Bakayo Saka, who wouldn't say boo to a goose, be doing the dart celebration immediately after his goal? Yeah, apparently they are sort of mates and it was all Sure, sure. I, I totally get that. But then I would have required Bakayo to do it after he was turned inside out and shredded for the first equaliser. He could have done the dancing again. And Madison made that point in an interview <laughs> with Club Media, you know, where it's not normally known for sort of people, you know, making really controversial statements. I mean, he's just, he's brilliant. He's such a good talker. Also, I do think what James was saying about the extent to which Madison was targeted, I thought... Spurs, and I didn't really appreciate this in real time, but just watching it back, they Spurs played with a real edge. You know, they, like Madison, <laughs> there are a few people going in on Fabio Vieira who obviously, you know, Spurs had identified as a weak link or someone who physically is um, not as robust. They were really going after him. And Madison, there was one where Mad where Vieira was down and Madison was sort of standing over him, kind of Christian Romero style. He did do that, yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, when I say Arsenal went after Madison, they, why wouldn't they? It's a North London derby. He's Tottenham's main cog. It's a derby. You're supposed to be going in and tackling. And Spurs were absolutely into that as well. You know, there was at least one great Romero, wasn't there? And of course, I can't remember who he turned upside down 70 yards from his own goal. Well, he did one on Vieira. He did one on Vieira brilliantly uh, in the first half. He charged into Arsenal's half and won it back. And that led to then Kulusevski had a sort of cross shot that was gathered by Raya. And also what Spurs did really cleverly, I didn't, which I didn't appreciate 
at the time. It didn't feel like this, but the ball in play, the ball was in play for 52 of the 104 minutes. And apparently 52 was the joint lowest of this season, possibly going back to last as well. And I think they very cleverly killed and watching it again, they did. There were times where they did, they were very clever, but it never felt like they were time wasting. You know, you never felt like the fans were getting on their back or anything like that. But I just thought they, it was very clever game management done in quite a subtle way. Send a tape of the game to Paul Heckingbottom. That's how it's done, son. What, 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 can you give me a, can you give me an example, Charlie? Because I watched the game, you won't be surprised to hear completely a second time. That didn't occur to me. I, I can, Danny. There was one. Uh, He's got notes. Yeah, I do. So there's one right in the first minute, for instance. What? Um, Van der Ven is fouled by Odegaard uh, after Spurs play out. And he sort of dusts himself down in quite a kind of, you know, obviously dragging it out kind of way. And then after nine minutes, um, Basuma does really well. He take, takes the ball in a tight area, drives away from Jesus and is fouled. And then there's loads of faff, uh, partly as well. Uh, Basuma's enjoying winding Jesus up. He makes a big deal of the foul. You know, these are little things that just you know, you're going to try and stem your opponent's rhythm. And also, I'm sure Postacoglu would have been conscious. We're playing a team. They're at home in a big derby, as I was saying before. They're obviously going to come out quickly. Let's just try and kill their momentum. But as it shows, you know, there are ways of doing it rather than you know taking an age over a goal kick, which is just going to piss everyone off. Questions. Um, sorry, this one uh, is uh, from um, Extremely Massoud on Twitter, who says, how was the atmosphere in the Kelly household after Sonny's instant equaliser? Well, it's an unusual day because it turned out that the Arsenal supporting lady wife had to go um, and do some interview some big writer in Waterford during the course of the game. So I was here on my own. But there was still some upset when the equaliser went in. One of our two cats is grey. So are our walls and so are our curtains. So when he's in the room, he often sleeps at the, at the foot of the curtain and you cannot see him, bless him. Um, this is Kiki. And when the second equaliser went in, in view of what happened with the penalty, which I was still fuming about as the injustice of it, excuse my language now, I shouted in the way that you do at a football match, at the top of my voice, oh, fuck off, fuck off, like that, because when the goal went in, and the, the cat jumped about four foot in the air. I hadn't even said, I couldn't see him because he's completely well camouflaged. Um, I thought I was the only organism alive in that room when I started roaring at a television screen like a numpty um, with my excitement at Spurs and overcome deep injustice. Kiki was the victim. Herself settled for the draw when she got home was okay about that. Tom Collins, um, oh, lovely, um, says, uh, given his age, uh, are Son's legs better served at centre-forward than out wide? Um, then he goes on to say he has to uh, stay at centre-forward for me, Tim. Um, it doesn't show much signs that... The world's changing, isn't it? 31-year-old footballers are not the 31-year-old puffed-out engines, broke-down engines of my youth. Yeah, I mean, he had a tough season last season with injuries, which wasn't really revealed at the time, but he looks he looks back to his sort of zippy sharpness from the season before. To me, I wouldn't say legs are an issue. I'd say it's more it's more of a tactical issue, really. I mean, what you would say is that Spurs look to have two decent options on the left now in Solomon and Johnson showed that he can do a job there, although, you know, it remains to be seen if either of them are good enough to start for a team, you know, chasing European football or or higher um in that position on a regular basis. But certainly good options. Um, Son was a good option for this type of game I'm, I maintain that you know Sheffield United at home or Luton away in uh, in 
in 12 days or so time is a better one for Richarlison to start, I personally feel. Um, but, you know, Son, at the moment, what you would say is he's clearly by far the best finisher in the squad and by far the most confident and most clinical in the squad. So, therefore, you probably want him um, where the most chances are going to arise from. So, uh, yeah, but I, I, I do I do think it'll be more of a horses for courses approach with the increasing options that they've got now in the forward areas. Yeah, and I was glad they didn't play Richarlison up front simply because Saliba would have preferred that kind of physical battle um, with Richarlison. So, but I thought Saliba was fantastic, by the way. Um, some of my Arsenal supporting mates uh, thought that he put, made two wrong passes. I think watching Spurs players bounce off him at the back tells you what a good footballer he is because um, he can play and he's also like a brick wall, which is very, very good. Listen, thank you for the questions. There were many more. We've answered them in the run of the show. Thank you three for coming along and uh, helping share my um, analytical, in no way biased or uh, or overjoyful um, celebration of Spurs's it was a draw in the North London derby. Listen, we'll be back again on Thursday. Let me remind you that uh, the show has now has its own official home on Twitter at VFTL Podcast, or you can email us VFTL at theathletic.com. And for the best Spurs coverage anywhere, and I'm completely unbiased and unashamed to say that, make sure you sign up to The Athletic. Take advantage of our limited time offer, just £1 a month for 12 months. Simply go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to subscribe. We'll be back on Thursday. Um, Maybe we'll be calmer. Maybe not. We shall see. God bless you all. The Athletic.